Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? Yeah. You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean... This feels great. Kathleen, guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. Oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to oh. go with me? No. <laughs> no? Why? Uh, what I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, so let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in it here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Uh, there's not a problem. I just... I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please. Here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay. okay. So, let's start over. Okay. All right. Kat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but um, see, you, do? you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh, I, well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. Well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? This I, isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I just, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did. Good morning. We're going to come back to that video in just a moment. Um, Pastor Aaron and Jennifer are delivering a child today to college. <laughs> Isn't it funny how when you pause at just that right, wrong time, it can start rumors. <laughs> anyway, um, so I'm, I'm excited to be here today and to be able to speak to you. I had most of the summer to work on a message and I was pretty sure of the direction I was going to go. And then a few weeks ago, I had a conversation with some trusted friends and I had been up to Camp Bethel to visit my daughter and her husband, Micaiah. They work up there. And um, they asked me, you know, how it went and Dave, do you ever miss the camp ministry? And I said, well, yeah, sometimes I do. And, and then they said, well, what is it that you miss about it? And so that conversation started taking me down a road and I really remembered how everyone was so dedicated. I mean, you had a few weeks in the summer to make an impact in the lives of children. And there were other staff there, and they were all part of a team. And so from the cooks to the maintenance, everything we did was to help the counselors to do their job well. 
And I, and I really miss that. And when I got done saying that, this other person said, well, that's not convenient Christianity. You should talk about that. I had the privilege of working for a, a camp director who, uh, I worked, we worked in two different camps, one in Oklahoma, one in Wyoming, and he would hire between 10 and 50 college students, depending on which camp we were at. And his job was to help them keep their focus where it needed to be, because college students will be college students. And so he would have to remind them from time to time, you're not here to find a spouse, even though that might happen. You're not here to perform outrageous, death-defying acts that thrill the campers, and then they're gonna go home and try and do the same thing and probably not live through it. You're here to spend time with the campers. You have five days to make an impact in the lives of these children whose parents have entrusted them to us. I love the focus, I love the intentionality. I suppose it reminded me of, of a ministry that I was in when I was in college. We frequently reminded ourselves that we had one, maybe one and a half semesters to impact all the guys on our floor. I had transferred to college, so I had three years, other students had four, maybe five, and then that ministry was over for us. We would graduate and we would move on. I was warned when I left the college for the real world that the church ministry and the community was gonna be a lot different. I naively thought that, oh, it won't be that much different, but it's not nearly as intense, and I miss that. And as I thought about these two different ministries that God had allowed me to be a part of, he reminded me of something that he said to a young pastor at a young church in Ephesus. Today I'm going to talk about an inconvenient faith versus convenient Christianity. We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy was probably Paul's final letter. After he wrote that, it's believed that uh, he was executed for his faith. Timothy was young. The church in Ephesus was young. They struggled with a lot of the same things that a lot of churches in America struggle with. And so it seems very applicable to me. This letter is a letter of action as much as it is a letter of doctrine. As I read through chapters one and two, I found all of these statements Paul made. Timothy, do this. Timothy, fan into flames the gift that you've been given. Timothy, don't be ashamed. Timothy, join in suffering. Timothy, continue with what you've been taught. Paul writes, everyone else has, has deserted me except you, Timothy. So you be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You teach others. You endure hardship. You play by the rules. You work hard. Timothy, reflect on these things, and God will give you further insight into what I'm saying. I love books like that that are practical. As we dive into this this morning, I think that there are some lessons that we can learn here in Gillette, Wyoming. So would you pray with me today? Father, as we jump into your word, this passage was written close to 2,000 years ago. And yet, Lord, we, 
we sometimes struggle with the same things that the church in Ephesus struggled with. So Father, give us fresh insight. Help us to apply this passage to our lives. Help us to make a difference here in Gillette for your name, for your glory, and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Timothy was to seek out reliable men and to teach them what he had been taught. And then they would be qualified to teach others. And we just finished a series titled Unqualified. And we remember that it is God through his Holy Spirit that qualifies people. So these men wouldn't be ready before Timothy got them. But as he taught them and as the Holy Spirit led them, they would be qualified to do the work that God was giving them to do. The first example he gives us is to suffer as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Most Americans will do anything to avoid suffering. I don't actually go out looking for suffering. Some days I think it comes and finds me. A few months ago, we were shut down for the COVID quarantine. And I read statements online and I heard from people who thought that they were, being suffer that they were suffering and being persecuted. Now, if you lost your job because of the virus, you suffered. If you lost a loved one, because of the virus, then you've gone through a hardship. But the reality is most of us merely suffered an inconvenience. If you wanna talk about persecution, let's talk about China. A week ago, they've announced they're going to start aborting babies up to birth of people of faith. That's persecution. India. Iran, Iraq, Nigeria, Somalia, and Eritrea. Every day, someone is getting beaten or killed for their faith in those seven countries. I don't experience suffering in America. When I think of a soldier, I think of someone who is disciplined, someone who has trained, someone who fights, you have to be focused. And as a Christian, we have to seek to please Christ. Pardon me, I'm experiencing technical difficulty. Everybody laughs at me. I'm the oldest pastor on staff, and, and I just, technology and I get into fights weekly. <laughs> when I think of, of training, for the Christian, we read, we study, we learn God's word, and we pray. And that's not just giving God our grocery list of everything we want, but it's learning to listen to him, to sense the leading of the Holy Spirit. 
soldiers trained to fight. I always liked the, the movies with the Roman gladiators. When they're practicing, they're using wooden swords because if they use real swords, they'd have a bunch of one-armed soldiers. It takes time to learn how to use a sword. It takes time for us to learn how to use God's word accurately. Soldiers have to learn how to deal with, with weather. The soldiers in World War II and Bastogne thought they would freeze to death before the war was over. But meanwhile, the soldiers in the South Pacific were dealing with torrential rain, high humidity. The soldiers in Desert Storm had to deal with high temperatures. In Vietnam, they had to deal with vermin, bugs, snakes, and rats, things they didn't have to deal with every day here in the United States. Soldiers are away from comforts, are away from family and friends. And another observation I made is they don't get to tell their commanding officer what they want to do. The military just doesn't work that way. Paul told Timothy, don't get entangled with civilian affairs. As a Christian, we need to avoid anything that would prevent us from having a witness or a ministry in our community. Sometimes even good things can be bad things if they prevent us from doing what we need to do. If we're not available to be involved in Bible studies or small groups, or if we're not available to serve the church, then we're entangled in things. It's like having your feet tied together. It would be really hard to defend yourself against someone who is attacking you. It would be hard to retreat if you had to. And so you don't want to be tied up. The goal is to, to please our commanding officer. The series Unqualified, Stephen and, and Chris did an outstanding job. And this was one of the verses that, that Stephen started with. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The convenient Christian isn't asking, how do I please God? Because they're only concerned with pleasing themselves. Convenient Christianity just does whatever takes the path of least resistance. They just go with the flow. I got to go to a Christian conference for a few days one time. The speaker was Stacy Reinhardt. He and his wife have written some books he was on staff with the Navigator Ministry for a while. He was telling us his testimony. He was in the military, and this guy named Joe sought him out, and he explained the gospel to him. Stacy had never responded to the gospel. He decided that he would commit his life to Christ and place his faith in him. Some of Stacy's companions in the military began to notice that he wasn't going out and partying with them anymore. And he was doing some other really weird stuff. And so they decided to ask him about it. They said, Stacy, why do you get up at 5.30 every morning and read your Bible? Stacy thought about it and he said, well, all Christians get up at 5.30 in the morning and read their Bible. He was a young Christian. He didn't know that not everyone wanted to spend time with their Savior before their day started. But then they asked him, Stacy, why are you memorizing verses of scripture out of the Bible? He thought for a moment. He said, well, because Joe Caldwell 
memorize a scripture. Well, at that point, my attention peaked up a little bit. My last name is Caldwell. I thought, I wonder what else this guy did. And I didn't hear anything about Joe for the next session or two. But in the final session, as Stacy was sharing more about his personal life, we found out that about six months after Joe, or excuse me, after Stacy placed his faith in Christ, Joe was killed in an auto accident. And as far as we know, Stacy's the only person that he ever shared Christ with. But Stacy went on to speak to tens of thousands of college students, plus unknown thousands through his books that he and his wife wrote. And he's personally discipled many, many men over the years. Joe was able to see his life multiplied through Stacy because Joe wanted to please his commanding officer. The second example that Paul gives us is to compete as an athlete. When I think of an athlete, I think of someone who is dedicated. They don't have to train. They're doing it because they want to train. The soldier doesn't have any choice. The athlete chooses to be an athlete. They choose to work hard every day and train, train, train. They want to be the best. I've never heard of anybody who's an athlete competing who is lazy. I've never heard of anyone say, well, you know, I really hope I come in 25th place today. That's just what my goal is. They want to win. Paul said you have to know the rules or you can be disqualified. If you don't know the rules, you can't win. I've never heard of someone in a long distance race 10 miles from the finish line saying, excuse me, I think we're going to change the rules right here because I don't feel like running the rest of the race. It sounds absurd. But I think the church in America is doing exactly that sometimes. We're ignoring the rules. Whoops. This picture was, I knew some guys in college who wore these doty robes around campus. There were five of them. And everybody thought, these guys are crazy. And then when I found out that they were taking Hindi Urdu classes for five years, oh, wow. I asked them why. They said, we are going to get a degree and then we are going to India. That's training. That's having a vision. The verse that I was going to is this. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father and I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. In America, I've talked to people who are living together, but they're not married. And they say, well, I love Jesus, so it'll be okay. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says when we ignore his commands... We're not showing him love. There's other ways that we do it too. I see people drawing lines where scripture doesn't and speaking negatively about other Christians. Paul said that we are to have nothing to do with people who promote division. 
He said, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. The phrase foolish controversies can be translated to pointless debates, needless ongoing conversations. People were dividing lines over small areas of scripture. And in our country, Christians are divided. Our nation is divided and Christians are divided. I hear people talking about charismatics versus non-charismatics. People of denominations versus people who are not in denominations. Calvinists versus Arminiists. Paul goes on to say in verses 10 and 11, to have nothing to do with people who promote division and controversy. Now, I'm not saying we have to agree on everything, but we need to learn how to fight like believers of Jesus Christ. We can disagree with the argument, the belief, the idea, but we don't attack the character or the person. We also have to remember, John Calvin didn't die for our sins and neither did John Wesley. Your favorite theologian or author or pastor didn't die for your sins. We are to be making disciples of Jesus Christ and no one else. This was going on in Paul's day too. He said, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? After all, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. We are not to be making disciples of men, but only Jesus Christ. I see people arguing over some of these debates that have going, been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. And meanwhile, people are dying and going to hell. And we would rather fight with each other than try and share Christ with them. As your pastors, it breaks our hearts. We don't need to argue about non-essential ideas. We have to remember that there are born-again believers on each side of those debates. What that means is that means that there's going to be both Arminius and Calvinists in heaven. There's going to be charismatics and non-charismatics in heaven. And so we don't need to be dividing lines where scripture doesn't. Other areas that I see division in our country is politics. And people are attacking one another without giving any thought to who the other person is. Aaron and I read World Magazine. It's a magazine published by Christians to give a world or a biblical perspective to world issues. And last spring, I read an article by a born-again Christian Democrat. Some of you are hyperventilating, so I'm going to wait a moment. Let your blood pressure come down. We don't need any aneurysms or strokes. A born-again Christian Democrat. I thought, this is going to be an interesting article. And so I read it with the goal of trying to see where he was coming from. He made some interesting biblical points on some issues that I hadn't thought about. 
But one part of the interview, he said, the reason that I'm staying in the Democratic Party is I want to help them to become pro-life. Well, there's a lot of things I disagree with that man on, but I respect that. I don't know if he can do it. I'm not even going to comment on that. But here's my point. I can have unity with someone who agrees that there's only one way to heaven through Jesus Christ. And we can leave a lot of these other things on the side. We can pray about a better understanding for ourselves. We can discuss them, not debate them, but discuss them. But at the end of the day, we are here to be a witness for Jesus Christ and to give God glory. When I first came to Journey, I asked Aaron, where does our church stand on Arminianism versus Calvinism? He said, the doctrinal statement was written so that it doesn't sway either direction because I want both Calvinists and Arminius to be able to come here and worship together. That is the heart of your pastors. We can disagree on things, but we need to have unity in the things that matter. Jesus prayed that his followers would have unity. And when we create division where he didn't, we are going against the will of our Savior. The third example Paul gives us is work hard as a farmer. I grew up on a farm, so I feel like I might know a little bit about this. When I think of a farmer, I think of someone who chose devotion. They've chosen a lifestyle. It's not like being an athlete where you can do it until your body doesn't allow you to anymore. Just last week, I saw an article in the Gillette News Record about a, a farmer who is eight, he's 86, I believe, and he said he's going to work until he dies. It's a lifestyle. Farmers have to have patience, hard work, and planning. They have to have patience because when you plant seeds, it takes time for them to grow. We would plant wheat in September, and then about a week later, my dad would start going out to the field, and he'd get on his knees, and he'd start scratching in the dirt to see if the seed plant had sprouted. And uh, my brother used to kid him. He said, Dad, you're out here rototilling up the whole field with your finger. You're not going to get a crop next year because you're killing everything. He wasn't a very patient person. He wanted to know that his wheat was growing. But then once it starts growing, you still have to wait for harvest. Farming also takes hard work. Seeds don't grow in soil that hasn't been properly prepared. If I planted wheat seed out here on Highway 50, assuming I don't get hit by a car, it's not going to grow. If I throw wheat seed into Donkey Creek, I'm not going to get a crop. That's not how it works. Farming takes planting. I've never seen anyone planting alfalfa in a blizzard when it's 20 degrees below zero. It wouldn't grow. Farmers watch the seasons and they know when to do the things that they need to do. I knew a guy in college who had memorized 1,400 verses of scripture, word perfect in the version that he was memorizing in. What that means is I could pick up a card and I could give him the reference of any one of those 1,400 verses and he could tell me the verse word perfect. 
The last time I spoke to him, he was in the process of memorizing the book of John. You see, his plan was to go to China. And at that time, they were confiscating Bibles at the border. And he said, they're not going to get my Bible. He was going to take the gospel to China. He had a long-term plan. I think that's what Paul is encouraging us with this illustration of the farmer is we need to be thinking about our witness and our ministry long-term and planning on how to do what God wants us to do. As I looked at these three examples, I've noticed that none of Paul's words to Timothy are easy. Work hard, train, be disciplined, follow the rules, suffer, Why is he telling Timothy that? Because convenient Christianity, Christianity that takes the path of least resistant, doesn't change anyone's life. And convenient Christianity doesn't please God. When we do what's convenient, too often we make God's word change to allow for our particular sin. We start overlooking things like gossip, sexual immorality, unloving attitudes towards each other, giving ourselves to creature comforts and avoiding suffering or inconvenience at all costs. But true Christianity calls us to commitment. Like my friends who worked at the camp, they gave up a summer for very little pay in order to lead children to Christ. It takes teamwork. Those of us who were in maintenance fixing things, we weren't talking to the campers, but we were keeping everything going so that the counselors could do their jobs. It takes dedication because it's not going to be easy. It takes intentionality because if we just wait until it becomes the right time or convenient, we never do anything. It takes intensity You know, those guys learning that foreign language, that wasn't easy. I tried taking a foreign language in college and I nearly failed. It was the only class that I almost failed. But we also have to have unity. Unity doesn't mean we agree about everything. Unity means we agree about the essentials. The non-essentials we can discuss, but we're not going to let those things come between us. I believe Paul is telling us as Christians, soldiers, get in the battle. Get out of your sleeping bags, get out of your tents, go to the front line. Get involved. Athletes, get off the sidelines and get in the game. Farmers, get to work. If we're going to take the gospel to Gillette, we need to be prepared. And that takes training. You know, I'd I'd learned one thing from being a farmer. Lazy farmers can only grow one thing. Weeds. We had a neighbor who let his weeds grow. I loved going to his farm to hunt pheasants because the kosher was two feet over my head. It was like going into a forest. If you've ever been in western Kansas, there's no forests. But laziness doesn't get us where we want to be. 
Paul is telling us action, action, action. Because whether Jesus comes back tomorrow or if I live another 20 years before he comes back, I am running out of time. Every day that passes is one less day that I can live to be a witness for Christ. We are running out of time. A lot of people believe we're getting closer to the end times. Some believe we are in the end times. That should motivate us. That should create a sense of urgency. I had a mentor who used to ask me, Dave, are you spending your life or are you investing your life for eternity? If I have a dollar bill and I spend it on a candy bar and I eat the candy bar, it's gone. But if I take that dollar bill when I'm 20 and I, and I invest it, hopefully when I'm 65, there will be a return. Just like Joe sharing Christ with Stacy, he saw a return on his effort, on his life. My mentor would tell me, there are only two things in this earth that are eternal, the word of God and the souls of people. Are you investing your time in God's word and with people? My mentor would tell me, Satan will gladly hold the ladder for anyone who wants to climb up on the shelf and be inactive for God. That was a scary thought for me. I didn't want to waste my life. I didn't want to sit and watch other people do the work. I wanted to be involved. Earlier, we watched a video. about a stool and a battle. A battle for who is in control of everything that I say and do. When the convenient Christian sits on that throne, that stool, not much happens. But when we allow the Holy Spirit to sit there and to guide and control the throne of our life, God can use us. We can have an impact. So I want to ask you today, are you investing for eternity? Are you spending time in God's word and spending time with people, hoping to influence them for Christ? Are you living like the athlete, the soldier, and the farmer? Or are you doing what's convenient? Because our faith is inconvenient. It takes effort. It is not the path of least resistance, but it's the only path that pleases God. Would you pray with me? Father, I hope and pray that you will use Journey Church to have an impact in Gillette. I pray that you will help us to avoid endless discussions over things that we aren't going to solve in our lifetime. I pray that you would place an urgency in our hearts to live like the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. Father, I pray that we would strive for unity, not that we have to agree with each other, but that we would agree on the essentials. 
Father, I so want to see Gillette reached with the gospel of Jesus. I pray that you would help us to move in that direction so that you will be honored and glorified. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the Give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day, and may God bless you.